This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We are continuing our sermon series through the Ten Commandments. Um, depending on what tradition you grew up in, maybe this today, you shall not steal is the Seventh Commandment or the Eighth Commandment. Uh, we have a Lutheran background, and so we follow Augustine's tradition of saying this is the Seventh Commandment. All that you need to know is we all have 10 commandments. Whatever tradition you're from, we all believe there was 10 commandments. And we're looking at you shall not steal. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you for bringing us here to study your word. We pray that you would speak to us through your word, that we would believe your word, that it would transform our lives. And don't let anything that I'm doing get in the way of the work of your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. You shall not steal. This has to be the most common sense of all of the commandments, right? We, we all know this. Basically, we should not take from someone else. In fact, all ancient cultures knew this. In fact, it seems like the ancient Babylonians beat Moses to the punch on this one. Back in 1901, there was a discovery of the Code of Hammurabi. It was this ancient law code from the Babylonians, from the king Hammurabi. He lived about 300 years before Moses, about 1750 BC. And in the code of Hammurabi, it says this. If a man stole property of a god or the palace, that man will be executed. Moreover, whoever received stolen property from him will be executed. And so already, hundreds of years before Moses, they're already saying, don't steal. You shall not steal. It's as if we don't even need the Bible to know that this is wrong. All cultures, ancient and modern, we know it's wrong to steal. It's wrong to steal from the government. Cheat on your taxes. It's wrong to take someone else's property. It's wrong to take something that's not yours. It's wrong to steal. But what no culture, ancient or modern, no courtroom can tell you is actually why it's wrong. We might say, you know, it's inconvenient, it's not nice, but no one can actually give you a basis for morality. No one can actually tell you why we shouldn't do that. That's why we need the Bible. And so, as was mentioned, we're continuing our sermon series, Top 10 Ways to a Better Life, a sermon series through the Ten Commandments. And the question I want to answer today is, why is it wrong to steal? To answer that question, we're actually going to go back to the opening pages of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And if you've been following us through this sermon series, you've probably noticed that Pastor Bill and I, we keep going back to Genesis 1 to explain the Ten Commandments, which are in Exodus chapter 20. The reason we keep going back to Genesis chapter 1 is because it's actually Genesis 1 that's like the blueprints, the foundation of all morality. Last week, Pastor Bill compared the Lord our creator God, to a, a painter who's painting a masterpiece. And our job is to trace God's masterpiece. This week, I want to compare God to a builder or an architect. And God lays out in the opening pages of the scriptures his blueprints, his instruction manual, because he wants us to live a life that, that follows the way he designed the world. Maybe I told you this story before, so forgive me if you heard me say this before, but a few years ago, my wife and I, we, we bought bedside drawers or dressers from Ikea. And 
she got to work. She followed the instruction manual. She put together her side of the Ikea uh, dresser drawers. And, and of course, because she followed the instruction manual, you know, it looked right and the drawers slid in and out nice and perfectly. And then I started on my side of the bedside dresser and, and I started with the Ikea directions. But after a while, I thought, you know what? I basically know what they're going to tell me to do. So I started putting everything together and you can guess what happened. My drawers got stuck. They didn't look right. Nothing seemed to work right because I didn't follow the instruction manual. And every time I went to open up the drawer, I re- was reminded of that. And that's basically the idea of why there's morality, what morality actually is. God set up the world to be designed in a certain way. He's the one who designed it to function in a certain way. And when we go outside of how he designed the world, that's when things become broken and wrong. And so, for example, when you go right through the Ten Commandments, Why is it wrong to break the first and second commandment? You shall have no other gods and you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Because God designed us to worship him above all things. And that's why when we worship good things and we make them ultimate things like money, you can worship money too much or or pleasure too much or even your family too much or your work too much. When we take all those good things and we make them the ultimate thing, that's sin. That's why it breaks down. That's why those things can eat us alive. Um, that's why um, it's wrong to break the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. If we work all the time without resting and worshiping in God, finding our strength from him, it breaks down because God is a God who worked and rest. And he set up the world in such a way that we are called to rest in him. That's the way our bodies and our lives work best. The fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Why is it wrong to murder? Because God designed human beings in his image. And if we, if we hurt or harm our neighbor, we're actually going against it. Oh, I skipped the commandment then. The fourth commandment, right? Honor your father and mother. Why is it wrong to, honor, to not honor your father and mother? Because in the beginning, God created a man and a wife, a family to pass on uh, truths and wisdom to the next generation. We dishonor our parents. We're going against the grain of creation. And then last week, Pastor Bill talked about You shall not commit adultery. Why is that wrong? Because in the beginning, God created a man and a woman and brought them together, united them in a lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. And that's how he designed the family to be. And when we go against it, we're going against the designer. Now, just like those Ikea instructions, we might not understand it at first. It might not make any sense when we look at it, but there was a design from a designer for a certain function. And that's really what the, the third page of the Bible is all about uh, when God talked about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He placed the first humans in this garden and, and he gave them this symbolic tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that tree represented God, that God was the one who designed what's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong, because he set things up. And eat from that tree was symbolic of saying, you know what, I know better. I want to decide what's right and wrong. I want to decide what's good and evil. And that's what broke our world down. And every day we have that choice. Every day we stand before that tree. And we have this decision. Do I want to follow the way God designed the world or do I want to define good and bad, right and wrong for myself? We have that same kind of lens as we look at this seventh commandment, you shall not steal. We want to figure out why that's wrong. How did God design it? How does stealing go against his design of his world? Well, let's go back to that opening page of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So humans are made in God's image, in his likeness. That means you are designed to be like God. You are designed to reflect God. When someone says, you know, you're the spitting image of your dad or mom, what they mean by that is, you know, you act like them. You have those mannerisms. You might have some, some characteristics like them. And we were designed to be the spinning image of God, to be co-rulers over this world, to take care of his creations and to do things mimicking God, mimicking our heavenly father. Well, what, are, what is one way that, that we mimic God? Well, what did God do in the very beginning? It says at the opening verses of chapter two, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We have a God who works. He, he works. He was the one who, who created the light and the darkness on day one. He was the one who who created the sky and the seas. He is the one who created the dry land and the vegetation on day three. He's the one who filled the, the sky with the sun, moon, and the stars. He was working. He was working when he, he put uh, the, the birds in the sky and the fish in the, in the seas. He was working when he put all these animals on the land. He was always working when he made you and me. God is a God who works. And we reflect our God by working, by, by doing things, by creating things, by making things, by, by building buildings, by writing books, by, by creating businesses and programs, we are reflecting our good God when we work. Now, that is a, a unique idea to Christianity. Ancient civilizations didn't believe in that. Now, I don't think we always comprehend how much Christianity has influenced our culture, because our culture has been so secular as we forget where, where this all came from. But this whole idea of a work ethic is actually a Christian work ethic. It's something brand new. The other ancient civilizations didn't believe that everyone was designed to work. How did the Egyptians build the pyramids? Did they do the work? No, they used slaves. They thought that some people should do the work for them. They treated them like property. How did the ancient Greeks have all that time to write philosophy and discuss politics? Who was doing all the work? Slaves. In fact, last week I read something from Aristotle and Aristotle actually kind of supported this idea that somehow some people were predestined for slavery, that somehow they were, they were designed to be these lower creatures and we need that slave clause, just totally against what God's word has to say. For such a smart guy, he said something really stupid there, right? And then how did the Romans get all, expand their kingdom? Do you know that the majority of the Roman Empire was slaves? They, that's how they expand their kingdom. Slaves. Somebody else did the work for them. But the early Christians, one of the ways that they took over the Roman Empire was their work ethic. The early Christians believed that God had designed them to do work and that all work was important. That, that God was using them to 
to be blacksmiths and bakers and, and farmers. And that's how God was going to get his work done. And everybody had the dignity of work. And actually, it was wrong to make someone else do your work. You're actually robbing them of their wages when you would treat other people as slaves. That that was against this commandment of stealing. And the Apostle Paul gets very specific about that when he's writing to the Roman people in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So the Apostle Paul says, if you're taking from people, if you're making somebody else do your work, you got to stop that. If you're a Christian, you have to understand God designed you to work. He, he built this into creation that you have something to offer. You have purpose and meaning. You have something to do with your life. And God is going to get his work done through you. Lutherans call this the doctrine of vocation, that the doctrine of calling, that God has called all of us to do the work. Luther, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, said that God milked the cows through the milkmaids. That's how God gets his work done, through you. And so that's why it's so wrong to steal. Why is it wrong to steal? Our opening question, because God has designed you to work. Not to take, not, not, to, not to use other people, not to take from the labor of somebody else, but God has designed you to contribute. Every one of you have something to contribute to the world, to give to others, to work hard with your hands, doing something useful so that you have something to share with those in need, Paul says. Or a more contemporary idea, you know, idle hands are the devil's workshop, Right? So if that's why, how we're designed not to take, not to use people, not to treat them as possessions or to take from their labor, but we're, we're called and we're designed to work, why, what keeps us from working? What keeps us from having a sense of purpose and dignity and, and, and a sense of, of energy towards work? Well, Jesus tells this parable in Matthew chapter 25 called the parable, it used to be called like the parable of the talents. In more recent translations, it's called the parables, parable of the bags of gold. A talent was an ancient uh, piece of money. It was, a, it was a denomination of money. And that, that idea of money or a talent has now come into our vernacular, our vocabulary because of this parable. Whenever you use that word talent, you're stealing from Jesus' language here in this parable. Talents today have become used as, um, uh, you know, the idea of abilities or gifts. Well, that comes from this parable. In this parable, Jesus explains that God has entrusted us with talents and abilities, and, and he's given us good things to do, and God wants us to respond and to be faithful. So Jesus tells this parable about a master who has three servants. And he's going on a journey. And so before he leaves on his journey, he, he goes to the first servant and he entrusts him with five talents or five bags of gold. And right away, this guy with five bags of gold goes off and works hard and gains five more. And then he entrusts two talents to the next man or two bags of gold. And that man goes off and, and gets to work and produces two more bags of gold. And then there is the third servant who gets one bag of gold and he goes and he digs a hole in the ground and hides his master's money. 
Well, and this master comes back from his journey to see what the, his servants had done with what he entrusted them. And the, and the one with, with five talents says, Master, I, I took your five talents, I put them to work, and I gained five more. And the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the small things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the one with two talents He says, Master, you gave me two talents. You entrust me with two talents. Look, I've gained two more. And then it says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. But then the Bible says in Matthew 25, when he gets to the third servant, we hear this. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. So this third servant, he looked at his master and he's afraid of him. He thought, you know, I don't have anything of real value to offer. And so I'm going to just play it safe. I'm just going to bury this in the ground. And the master responds, you wicked, lazy servant. Why didn't you at least put the money on deposit with the banker so when I came back, I could have had it with interest? You see, this third servant was, was afraid of his master. He lived in fear and kind of self-loathing. I have nothing to offer. What I have to offer doesn't really matter. I don't want to lose it anyways. I'll probably screw it up anyways. And that attitude became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Living in fear and feeling you have no set of value, you have nothing to offer anybody anymore. You're all used up, no hope, nothing to offer. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know about you, but I've lived too long like that third servant. Where I've thought things like, you know what, I'm just a pastor. I mean, I, I read the Bible and I preach some words. I mean, does it really matter? Is this really helping anybody anyways? You know, I'm visiting people. Is that really going to change them at all? And, and when you live like that, when I, when I, I mean, you know, fear that, you know, God, I'm not doing enough for you. And, you know, I don't really have anything of real value. I'm not doing anything special like other people are doing. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You feel like you have nothing of value to offer. And so you offer nothing of value. You're afraid that, that God's out to get you, and so you live in fear of God, and you don't do anything. Have you ever felt like that? It can happen at different stages of life. Maybe, uh, you know, when you're, you're thinking about career, you mean high school or college, and you think, you know what, why even try? I probably have nothing to offer anyone. I could screw all this up, or I could make the bad decision. I, you know, I'm not going to try. Or maybe you're in a career right now and you just feel overworked and you don't feel like you have anything to offer. You know, we're understaffed. I'm overworked. I don't think I have anything to offer. And so you even pull back even more. That's why I give up. Have you ever felt like maybe you're in retirement and now you're thinking, well, you know, my best days are behind me. Nobody would need my help. Why would anyone want to listen to me anymore? And we get into this self-fulfilling prophecy. And the less we think we have to offer, the less we offer. The more we're afraid of God, the more we live in fear and the more we retract from from our callings. And if that's how you feel, I want you to know about the generosity of God. God's generosity starts at the cross. 
where his blood has been poured out for you. And, and I want you to picture your, your baptism like this waterfall that is constantly coming over you and washing you clean. It's this never-ending source of God's love and acceptance and forgiveness for you. And then we're going to receive that today in the Lord's Supper. God is confirming that covenant that he loves you and he accepts you and he's not mad at you and you have nothing to prove. Your work does not have to be the place you find value because God's already happy with you in Jesus Christ. But then I want you to see his generosity also that he continues not just to give you the grace of his forgiveness, but what Paul says when he uses the word grace, he also says the grace of gifts. The things that you can do naturally, other people can't do. You know why? Because God gave you those gifts and has entrusted you to use them. Your, your employer needs you. God called you to that place because he, he wants you there. He wants you to, to serve the people around you, that you have incredible value and purpose. And if you're retired, you know, there's people around you who need to know your wisdom and your care, and you need to help them. They don't know what they're doing. They need your wisdom. God has placed every one of you just where he wants you because he's got good work for you to do. In the Old Testament, God um, gave manna to the nation of Israel when they're in the wilderness. They didn't have to work. They just got up in the morning and they, they had manna on the ground. And he could do that today. God could deliver a loaf of bread every morning to your doorstep. He could drop it from the sky and it could be right there. He could do that. But he has decided to have the farmer plant the seed and harvest it. And he's decided to use that person to deliver that to the baker and the baker to make the bread and to deliver it to the grocery store and the grocery store to be there and all the workers there. And then for you to be there, God has designed all these people in that chain because he wants to do his work through you. You have something to offer. He has decided to pull back so that he would give you a purpose. And so we have a whole different way of looking at work as Christians. Uh, The Apostle Paul says it this way when he's writing to the Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so when you think, you know, you're at this job and you're feeling overworked and there's understaffed and you just feel burnt out. Remember, you're not just working for that boss. You're working for the Lord. So do what you can with the time that you have and the strength that you have because you're actually working for the Lord. He's the one you're working for. And he's the one who rewards you. And he's the one you're serving. He's the one's going to energize you. And he's the one who's placed you there. You know, I think this could be one of the, the most incredible witnesses of the Christian church right now. We all are aware of the, the labor shortage and the crisis that's going, the great reshuffling people are talking about, right? And so many people are being burnt out and, and, and not appreciated. Just like when the early Christian church, people started working in the Roman Empire and people started seeing these Christians who were just doing a good job because they were working for somebody higher than their boss, we can do that again. As Christians go to their work with the sense of purpose that they're not just serving the people, they're serving their God and they see the face of Jesus and everyone that they're helping, we could really be a witness to the world on the value of every human being and the value of work. So here's the big takeaway. 
Be faithful to God by adding value to others. Be faithful to God because he's the one who's entrusted you with these talents, with these abilities, these things that you can do that the person sitting next to you can't do. Be faithful to God as you add value to others. You're not, there's no reason to take from anyone. There's no reason to, to use anyone because you have something to add to other people. And that's why stealing is wrong. It's wrong because God has designed you to work. And that's why you have this sense of purpose and meaning when you are serving somebody else. And when you stop serving other people or working or doing those, you can lose a sense of meaning and purpose because God has designed you for a purpose. You have no reason to steal from the government. You have no reason to steal from your neighbor. You have no reason to be lazy. You have no reason to self-loathe because God has given you good work to do. So if you've been stealing, steal no longer, but work. Do something useful with your hands so that you have something to share with those in need. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray especially today for those who feel like their life has no purpose. Their life has become a self-fulfilling prophecy of, of fear, of a lack of self-worth, a lack of contribution. I pray, Lord God, that you would open our eyes to see your generosity that today's a new day of your forgiveness and love and you've given us good things to do. And so help us be a witness to the world of your energy, of your love, of your service as we serve one another in the work that you've given us to do. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.